National Hazing Prevention Week was in September, but we need to continue to talk about this year-round. It's episode 12 of For Our Edification. Thank you for joining For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. For Our Edification is brought to you with the support of the Purposeful Philanthropy Foundation. And the podcast is available on some of the biggest platforms, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, Google, Spreaker, and more. Go to the new For Our Edification page at eddiefrancis.com. The last week of September is National Hazing Prevention Week. It's the brainchild of hazingprevention.org. And it spreads awareness about the dangers of hazing, regardless of the level of that hazing. The man responsible for bringing awareness to the pervasiveness of hazing is journalist and author Hank Neuer. I suggest you take a look at hankneuer.com. That's H-A-N-K-N-U-W-E-R.com. And there's an exhaustive and depressing list of hazing deaths that have been recorded throughout history, at least as far back as he could grab that information. On the old Eddie Francis podcast show, one of my first interviews was with two people near and dear to me. One was with Leslie Brown. Uh, She was featured on episode four of the For Our Edification podcast when she discussed the mental health benefits of giving. The other is Von Eaglin. Now, both are mental health counselors and also both are members of the Divine Nine. They joined me to talk about the psychology of hazing, and we're going to talk about it after this. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. I'm Eddie Francis. Thank you for joining For Our Edification. From the Daily Beast, as of September 20th, 2019, a Navy SEAL and Marine are being tried for the hazing death of Logan Melger, a Green Beret. Now, at the same time this is going on, National Hazing Prevention Week is in full swing, and the parents of hazing victims, Harrison Koyak, who died in 2008, and Max Groover, who died in 2017, have been touring colleges doing hazing awareness talks, while the leaders of fraternities, sororities, colleges, high schools, professional athletic teams, and even the military are trying to make their members, their students, and service people understand the dangers of hazing. Well, I'm a member of a Divine Nine fraternity. The Divine Nine, if you don't know, are the nine major historically African-American fraternities and sororities. So what I did on the old Eddie Francis podcast show um, was ask a couple of members who are also friends of mine about their thoughts. Uh, here's the wrinkle. We talk about the um, legal ramifications. We talk about the effects on victims. Obviously, those are some of the biggest points that we need to keep talking about. But what I was really curious about was whether or not they could put their fingers on what goes through the minds of people who commit acts of hazing. And, and, and I did this in hopes that anyone listening to the podcast would do some sort of self-evaluation if they're in a fraternity, a sorority, if they're a part of a high school athletic team, a professional athletic team, college athletic team, a band, uh, the, the service, police department, wherever you might see hazing occur, if they could just listen to this and get some idea of... <laughs> 
why they need to think very carefully about what it is that they are about to do if it's on their minds. So Leslie Brown is a professional mental health counselor who specializes in family and marriage therapy, but she also tends to look at culture. She's a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Von Eaglin is a professional mental health counselor who specializes in aggressive behaviors, and he is one of my brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. It's a few years ago, and the sound is just a bit wonky, but you'll get the point nonetheless. Here's that interview. Vaughn and Leslie, thank you very much for joining me. How's everything going with you two? Great. Things are going well. Outstanding. Thank you very much. Leslie, I'm going to start with you because you have a, a pretty interesting angle on this. First of all, I want, I want to preface this by, by saying that I don't really want to talk about uh, the insurance liability because that's probably the first thing that we, we hear people talk about. And I know that the the legal aspect of this is also very important, but I really am interested, and that's why I'm asking two counselors to talk about this. I really want to talk about the mental health part of this, and I'm and I'm interested in, in the approach that some of our members may have when it comes down to this. So, Leslie, starting with you, you have a, a you have an interest in in talking about the African American experience and and how we are rooted in our culture. So. Let me just ask you this. The code of hazing in our fraternities and sororities, it seems to be rooted in being able to withstand hardship. And based on things that you have studied and things that you have learned, do you think that's an indication more of the African-American experience overall rather than it being limited to African-American fraternities and sororities? Well, I I think that black greek life or black greekdom that's within the african american experience it's one of the experiences you can you know have as an african american or an african of the diaspora um and I, of course i believe that what happens in one is a reflection uh, of uh, somewhere in the other i think that you know just based on experiences and things that i've read and et cetera, et cetera, you know many of these organizations they have their their roots in secret societies in Africa and in indigenous culture. And in those cultures, people, uh, you know, we had rites of passage. And I think in its modern form, pledging, hazing, all of that has is kind of been a, a viewed as being a rites of passage, a badge of honor for people who've completed something, it's a difficult process, They've achieved it. Um, they've become members. But actually hazing, hazing, as I understand it, is, you know, there's always been some form of it in uh, institutional life, back to medieval universities. And I think, or, or from what I understand, it was during the 1920s when historically black schools uh, students wanted to stop hazing of freshmen uh, because of a lot of it was because of what was going on um, in our communities politically and our families with lynching and all of that. They wanted to to stop it. Um, so then that's when the pledge process emerged. So I think you know I I, I think that it's always been you know it's 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 always been a it's a reflection of life. Yeah, and and it's really interesting because when you take a look at 
uh, the history of it. I mean, you see a lot of it that's happened even before the fraternities and sororities, at least um, black fraternities and sororities. There was a lot of this happening, and, you, and I did notice this as well. There was a lot of this happening institutionally with colleges and universities. Vaughn, one of the things uh, that you take a look at, once again, is you take a look at men and you take a look at groups of men. Um, every time you hear a hazing case come about, uh, the, the biggest question that people ask is, why don't they just stop doing it? You know, why are we doing this to each other? We should love each other. I mean, honestly, based on anything that you studied, based on your experiences with men and with groups, is it reasonable to expect men to simply stop, especially in, well, I should say, especially in the case of fraternities? Well, I believe the short answer is no. And I would love to elaborate and give you more details regarding the, the history of hazings and uh, fraternities. But I'd like to focus on some concrete issues involving hazing. And uh, at first, I, well, let me begin by defining hazing. Um, so hazing is any intentional or knowing or reckless act by someone um, acting alone or directed uh, by others and dangers the mental and physical health of others. Um, and so uh, there are many examples of hazing, such as uh, physical brutality and you know, uh, whipping, beating, striking someone, electronic shocking, um, you know, calisthenics. Uh, consumption of alcoholic beverages and other t types of drugs. Um, but again, uh, hazing is uh, defined clearly by most student codes of conduct uh, anytime you look um, within the um, code of ethics for most universities. Now, uh, I think Leslie hit the nail on the head whenever she talked about how hazing is not a recent um, occurrence. Uh, from the studies that I've done, uh, hazing began uh, in the in the 1800s, actually, with upperclassmen who would initiate underclassmen. And it started at, uh, of course, uh, African-Americans weren't allowed at, um, you know, uh, higher education institutions. So it was started by uh, by white students uh, who would actually abuse the underclassmen. And so whenever you look at the aspect of men, um, it began in, with African-American, African-American men very early. Um, however, there was really a crackdown on hazing back in 1990. And so whenever you look at men in black Greek letter organizations, uh, typically they join these organizations for one, brotherhood. Um, two, I would say, would be fraternity, identity, and then some legacy. Um, and then three is for personal connections. And so whenever you ask the question, is it is it reasonable to expect these men to stop? I would say no, because there is a there is a rite of passage that typically accompanies these types of organizations. And so um, there's a there's a history. Um, and I can think back to when I'm um, my first incident with hazing. It wasn't in a black uh Greek letter organization. It was actually in ninth grade with uh, my football team. And um Whenever uh, upperclassmen uh, began to uh, hit me or, or beat me or whatever the case was, um, whenever I became a senior, I in turn did that to um, other football members who were underclassmen. And that was just a rites of passage. And if you ask uh, any NFL rookie, he'll tell you that was I haze? He'll probably probably say yes. And so I see it in institutions across the board. And it's not just with men, but with women as well. So and and, and just to uh, clarify, uh, yeah, the 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 incident you're talking about uh, was actually it was actually 1989. I remember it vividly because it happened right after I was initiated. Oh, wow. Uh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Joe Harrison Morehouse. And then a couple of years later, a uh, young man by the name of Michael Davis in 1994 was, uh, you know, unfortunately passed away. And, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things, Vaughn, you brought up 
uh, that, you know, it happened to you and then so you became a senior and then you did it to uh, the to the freshman coming on to the football team. And it may sound like a really simplistic question, and I want both of you to give me some insight, but I'm going to start with you, Vaughn. How much of this do you think can be contributed to youthful exuberance? I mean, they don't – nobody means to – Nobody means to put anyone in the emergency room. Nobody means to end someone else's life. But how much of this is just youthful exuberance? Well, uh, the word youthful exuberance is, um, is, I think, is a layered issue, number one. Youthful mm-hmm. exuberance may not be the appropriate term for it. I believe is really an issue of identity, masculinity, and then significance. Uh, whenever you look at the data, um, typically hazing and many of the incidents that are reported or conducted, uh, the hazing rituals are, con- um, are conducted by recent graduates. Um, I like to call them extended adolescents. Um, <laughs> and so um, either they are people who have graduated, they are employed, underemployed, or unemployed. And so their most significant accomplishment, the thing that gave them the most meaning and purpose in life was being initiated into the fraternity or their membership into the fraternity. And so you have guys who may be 22 years old up to 35 years old who may participate in these illegal activities. And and they do so because it makes them feel important. And many times they're seen as the old head. So um, they have much more wisdom than the current authority figures on campus. Um, So therefore, because they're close to the action, um, they become like the discerning voice that comes upon from, you know, from on high, like I'm God and you need to do what I say. And so they're defining the masculinity for these young men uh, in terms of rites of passage. And so when you say youthful exuberance, um, I really think the, the bigger issue is uh, male identity, um, again, masculinity and how we define masculinity um, and then uh, feeling a sense of purpose and meaning in terms of uh, what we deem is uh, makes a man. Well, Leslie, what do you think? I mean, uh, do you feel the same as far as the term youthful exuberance? You don't think that might necessarily be the appropriate term? Do you think it's more about identity? What would you say? I think it's a lot of different things. I think it's identity. I think it's youthful exuberance is a part of it. I also think that it's um, it's historical. This is what was done to me, so I'm passing it on. Um, it's Proving masculinity and kind of what, what Vaughn is talking about or 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 uh, femininity or, you know, just that I am a good member. I'm I'm uh, devoted. And in order to to make it through uh, and become what I am, you know, you need to go through these difficult tests. Do people take it too far? Absolutely. Absolutely. Take it too far. Mm-hmm. But I think it's I think it's. It's several different things. So, well, and, and, and I want to kind of piggyback on something right there, because we, we talked about men. Uh, Leslie, I mean, what have you seen from women? What, what would you say would be kind of a difference in the way women approach it when it comes to hazing? Well, I think the physicality is, um, is a little bit different. You know, there, there is, of course, there is, you know, some, uh, you know, physical things that happen with women, but I think the physicality is different, and I also think that I think some in, in many instances that that I've observed, there's less uh, less of the physicality that that goes on, the uh, the physical harm uh-huh. things that go on um, with the men, the thunder and the lightning. Um, I think that's when they they bash you on the on the chest, 
um, for the men. But yeah, I think that in terms of the women, that for that aspect, it's it's less less physical for us. And so it is. So it is more mental. It is more emotional, maybe. Yeah, definitely emotional. Definitely mm-hmm. playing upon your emotions. Uh, definitely, uh, I can recall instances where you know um, maybe there were big sisters who would uh, talk about different things that they knew would hurt your feelings. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's a test, a test of your uh-huh. mental and your physical. Um, uh-huh. and, and, and it goes far. It's for our edification. Thank you for joining us. Leslie Brown and Von Eaglin are our guests, and they're talking about the psychology of hazing. Going with that whole notion of wanting to belong, Leslie and Von, and Leslie, I'm going to come back to you with this. Um, There's the one side of the folks who say this person has got to want to belong to my organization. But then there's the other side of the person who, in one case, uh, you know, recently a student uh, from Boise State University just uh, sued Alpha Phi Alpha uh, because he got involved in hazing or he, he was, a, he was, he was a, a victim of hazing. But one of the biggest questions that people are asking is, why did you agree to do it? If they were going to touch you, why didn't you just walk away from it? So. Leslie, starting with you, I want to get your opinion on this. Do you find it reasonable, especially when you, when you, 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 especially when you think about this as a counselor, do you find it reasonable to expect men and women uh, to allow themselves, who, who are agreeing to allow themselves to behave, is it reasonable to just expect them to say, well, no, I'm not, just, I'm not going to do it? I think it would depend on them, but largely no, because to me they're not men and women. They're they're still very young people. Um, they may be in age, but um, you know, for many of them, they haven't ex- experienced life on uh, you know as a, a man or a woman. They're they're very new to that. So you know, no, I don't think it's always reasonable to expect that. What do you think, Vaughn? Um, I would agree with Leslie um, in terms of uh, most men. Well, I can't speak for women. You know, I'm not a woman, um, although I am married. I don't know all of my wife's experiences, you know. Um, <laughs> however, uh, with men, I, I would say um, first, let me kind of define masculinity or just some of some of the uh, some of the issues with masculinity. Uh, from my perspective, I believe that men deal with a sense of shame um, and it's a and it's a feeling that's very pervasive. However, uh, whenever we deal with issues of shame, and let me make a distinction um, between the words guilt and shame. Guilt says I feel bad for what I did. Shame says I feel bad for who I am. And so if you have someone with a with a with a what I would call a external locus of control, they define themselves by the things going on outside of them, not by their own inward um, uh, sense of well, you know, sense of significance. However, the things outside of themselves uh, make them who they are, such as membership to a um, 
fraternity or sorority. Um, so you're dealing with a man who, one, is insecure, two, has a sense of shame. If he leaves the ritual or uh, from being hazed, then he's going, I mean, all of his friends are going to talk about him. He's, on, he's probably on what they call a line, which means that he let the team down. Um, and so this, uh, you know, so that's very shameful for a man to walk away and say, I didn't make the cut or I didn't have, um, excuse my language, but I didn't have the, the balls to to um, to go through the whole process. And so and then you also have an issue of what I would call Afrocentric socialization. And so, again, um, this is a rites of passage. It's it makes me closer to my culture. I'm learning um, things about my culture, um, whether it may be poems or information about the actual fraternity or sorority. And so it makes one feel closer to being black in, in a sense. And so whenever you say, you know, can they just walk away? Um, they can. However, you're going to be accompanied with ridicule. You'll be accompanied with contempt, um, maybe criticism uh, by your peers. Um, and then, uh, you know, you'll be the one that they know who didn't make, make it through or d you didn't make the cut. And, and at a college or university, you're talking about a small city. So to me, it seems as if that would just that would just multiply the shame a hundredfold. Yeah. I, I also think that we just have to remember that you're dealing with young people who are trying to figure out who they are and mm. what their place is in the world. Mm. So they're definitely vulnerable to doing something that, um, that may cause, may cause them harm. Because they're trying to find their place in the world, and it definitely, you know, many of the things that Vaughn was talking about. So let, let's talk about, you know, uh, things that we can uh, give people to think about. Uh, one thing I always talk about, uh, especially now, and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna openly admit that I was one of those people uh, who, when I was an undergrad. I didn't see a problem with hazing. I didn't think it was a big deal. And and but the one thing that I had not done is I had not actually thought about who the victims might have been. And I, I didn't think about I, I didn't I didn't link a face or a name with an incident. I separated them. So there was a hazing incident, and then there was this guy who unfortunately passed away. So. Leslie, I'm going to ask you uh, this question first. Do you think it would make a difference uh, knowing the kinds of young people that we're dealing with? Because most of the hazing incidents are in colleges and universities. Um, do you think it would make a difference if we were to actually identify the victims, if we were to say the name Joel Harris repeatedly, if we were to say the name, uh, you know, um, Michael Davis repeatedly, or if we were to say the name Kristen High, you know, one of the young ladies who unfortunately uh, drowned in California uh, due to a hazing incident. Do you think it would make a difference to young people if they were to hear those names to, to, to create a sense of identity with the victims? Um, absolutely. And I think it goes in line with what is what goes along with being in a black Greek organization It's a continuation of history and of legacy. And, you know, we can um, talk about those cases and those individuals. Uh, it brings it brings uh, awareness and it brings knowledge of what ha what happened. And it also means that their deaths were not not completely in vain.
What do you think, Von? Do you think if we were to actually link a name with the incident, that would make a difference? Um, I would say so, but I think it needs to go a step beyond that, honestly. Um, uh, you know, incidents with, you know, let's say if it was Trayvon Martin, I think a lot of people could identify with that because there was a common shared experience of being um, of being categorized and then stereotyped. And, and then violence happening. I know when I was young, um, you know, I've been pulled out of a you know car. I was driving a Cadillac. I've been pulled out of a car and searched before. And so if someone uh, tells me, you know, they share an experience with me, it's like this universality occurs where welcome to the black experience. You know, oh, it happened to you too. This normalizes it. So and so I would say um, helping us to identify with the victim. Um, would be the main goal, not just saying the name, but what really, you know, what is the impact of that um, that hazing incident? What does it have on our community as a whole? What about what about if the if the college students were to actually hear from the families of the victims? I mean, you know, one one thing that's brought up, unfortunately, you know, in the case of Joel Harris is his mother never got a chance to see him graduate from college. And so what would you, somebody who is about to go haze this young man, what would you say to her? What would you say to this young man's mother? And she can't even talk to her son anymore. So that that seems that would have a very strong impact. And I'm sure it would be very difficult to get the families to even say anything. But it seems to me that 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 sort of action would also have some sort of impact. I, I think that would be very impactful. And and like Vaughn is saying, you know, definitely going deeper. But I also think um I think the education of or uh, of the whole history in this country and beyond, you know, just as I was saying, you know, when I was looking into all of this, I had no idea that hazing had always there's always been hazing, always been uh-huh. some form of hazing. Um and it wasn't in in terms of 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 the historically black universities, black Greek letter uh, organizations, that didn't, that black students challenged that in the 1920s. And that's how the pledge process evolved in terms of uh, black Greek letter organizations. Those students challenged and said no due to what's going on in our communities. People are being lynched. People are being killed. They're not seeing their families anymore. And we don't want any more any part of that. So there had to be a, a, a another another process. Um, so uh, I think the education of that is it needs to happen as well. And I also think that we as uh, as uh, graduates need to be involved in that process. listening to For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis and we're talking to Leslie Brown and Von Eaglin about the psychology of hazing. And I'm glad you said that, Leslie. I want to I want to hear you elaborate on that because one of the things that I have done is I know that in in uh, in the circles uh, in which I run and when I talk to undergrads, one of the things I do is I admit to them. I, I tell them what my belief system used to be and how it changed and why it changed. And I'm of the opinion that if more of us, uh, especially those of us who actually had no problem whatsoever with hazing back in the day, if we were to if we were to actually 
have these conversations, healthy conversations with undergrads in which we said, listen, I've evolved and this is why I've evolved and this is why I'm telling you this is a bad, bad, bad idea. Do you think having older members of the organization speak out more would be helpful to undergrads? Absolutely. But I do think that we have to have some sort of balance. This may be a whole nother conversation. Um, I am not agreement. You know, of course, I think that hazing is, is dangerous. But I think that at this point and juncture of time, everything reached such an extreme that, of course, our, our, our divine nine had to say, hey, th- this can't happen anymore and, right. and switch to the to the MIP process. Within that, you know, I think I think there should be some sort of process. Um, but what's going on now? No. So I think that we have to be involved. And and uh, I also think some of these are, are another conversation. But no, I mean, maintain maintain the rigor of a process, make sure that someone earns his or her way into the organization. But don't don't send anybody to the ER. Don't try to embarrass them for life, you know, or anything like that. So I, I, I completely get what you're saying. Now, Vaughn, what do you what do you think um, as far as members who once uh, believed in hazing speaking out more? Um, I do believe it is, uh, I guess, what I would call a grassroots issue and that it would be beneficial if um, older members would reach back. Um, You have people who are more developed in their own uh, sense of themselves to uh, be able to speak to others and, uh, you know, and help them to heed. And I I think the the penalty for hazing, uh, to my understanding, has increased over the years, you know, whereas someone – you know, could have been put on probation, you know, or, or you know, uh, even probation with the school. Now you see, um, you know, felonies. Um, I, I know I was a uh, while I was a student at UNT. Well, actually, I, I, while I was working at UNT, um, there were a couple of members of Cap Alpha, Alpha Psi who were uh, charged felonies um, after they uh, fled from the police um, after a scene uh, of hazing. And so, um, and so, you know, having testimonies from those guys um, of, hey, you know, this is what I did, and you know, them being able to, uh, for lack of a better term, witness to the other people who uh, are in the organization, I think would be a good thing. Uh, however, um, again, there's that idea that if it happened to me, then I'm going to uh, help someone else define their masculinity by. Letting it, you know, by doing it to someone else. So I think it one involves uh, redefining masculinity. Um, it involves forgiving the people that haze you, and then being willing to teach the new generation different ways. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you're defining your masculinity or, on, hey, am I paper or am I quote unquote real? Um, yeah. What exactly is real, you know? And uh, you don't, you know. And, and it's hazing a part of that. You know, it doesn't need to be a part of the conversation to be considered a uh, for you to be considered uh, a member of the fraternity and a, and a member in good standing. Um, any most of the research I've done has said that, you know, even those who didn't experience hazing, um, you know, you have people who did experience hazing. They're no, and they're no longer even affiliated with the fraternity or sorority um, or uh, uh, attend any grad chapter meetings or are part of serving their community in that way. And so uh, how much good did hazing actually do? Did it really make you? And then you have another member um, 
who didn't experience hazing. However, they're really involved in the community. Um, they're serving others. Um, and it's not about, hey, let's go to the step show. But it's, you know, what about political awareness? What about, you know, mentoring? What about uh, scholarship? You know, and so um, I think it is a, it's an issue of mentoring and reaching back very much so. Uh, last question, and, and I want to get both of you to uh, to give me your final thoughts on this. Uh, I'm going to start with Yvonne. How important is it for people to understand that there is just there's no one magic bullet to really addressing and uh, and dealing with this problem? Oh, well, um, I, I think it is important because uh, I think I stated before this is a very layered issue, and it's an issue of uh, identity significance. Um, and a rites of passage um, to being black. Uh, uh, and so uh, it's, it's extremely important to understand that it is a layered issue and it has to be tackled from um, all sides in order for the incidents to decrease. And coincidentally, the, the majority of hazings that, or hazing incidents that we hear about are only the extreme cases, um, only when someone dies or only when someone reports it. Um, however, uh, hazing is underground, and I do believe that it is, um, I don't want to say thriving and well, however, uh, I do believe that it still occurs. Um, and so uh, understanding that it is something that uh, occurs um, underground, understanding that it is a rites of passage, understanding that it is a, uh, a issue of identity within the African-American community as well as identity of self, understanding that there is an issue of shame and ridicule and criticism um, you know, it, it's, it's important to uh, understand all, all sides of the issue in order to uh, address it appropriately. What do you think, Leslie? Uh, how, how important is it as far as you're concerned? And, and what do you if you have any suggestions for anyone who is concerned and would like to help do something about this? How important is it for them to understand that this, there's just no magic bullet on this thing? Um, I, I think it's very important. And, and definitely, like Bond said, this is a very layered, very complicated um, issue. Um, I think that we as as graduates and involved uh, folks definitely have to take a step up in in uh, mentoring our our young folks and 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 letting them know. Um, I think that uh, one of the suggestions I have is we've got to make the exact history understood. And the the purpose of these organizations make it cool, you know. There needs to be some some marketing campaign, um, just you know, to to keep the focus on what their purpose is. Many thanks to Leslie Brown and Von Eaglin for joining me a few years ago on the old Eddie Francis podcast show. And I do want to remind you that that interview was recorded um, as Leslie mentioned, coming up with some sort of campaign. That interview was actually recorded just as some fraternities and sororities were starting to come up with uh, anti hazing campaigns. And then also uh, before there was a more of a formalized, well-supported effort for National Hazing Prevention Week, I'm happy to report uh, that the Divine Nine fraternities and sororities got behind National Hazing Prevention Week uh, in, in full force with the These Hands Don't Haze campaign. And, you know, as I, as I listen back to that, uh, I, I really think back to uh, when I was an undergrad, I was initiated uh, when I was 19 years old into Alpha Phi Alpha. And in my naivete, I remember when Joe Harris passed away and, 
and and just wondering out loud what we could do um, to to get past this whole thing and just move on and do what we wanted to do as fraternities uh, so that we could continue the process that we knew and love at the time. And if you remember toward the end of the interview, one of the things that I asked was, would it help if people remembered the names of the hazing victims? Because we talk about them as if they were not necessarily people, but they were they were incidents. And so with that being said, I, I wanna remind us that when it comes down to the issue of hazing, this is about people who could be in danger and the families who could lose a loved one. And over the years, as I mentioned Hank Neuer earlier, the man who has been tracking hazing deaths, these are the names of people who uh, unfortunately, in hazing deaths have been connected with a Divine Nine organization in some way. We need to remember these names. From 2019, Marlon Jackson, who passed away due to sleep deprivation. 2018, Tyler Hilliard, no cause of death documented for him. 2017, Jordan Hankins, suicide with hazing as a contributing factor. 2010, Victoria Carter and Brianna Gaither, auto accident from sleep deprivation. 2009, Donnie Wade Jr., over exhaustion from exercise. 2002, Kristen High and Kanitha Safir, drowning. 2001, Joseph T. Green, over exhaustion from exercise. 1994, Michael Davis, beaten to death. 1992, Gregory Batips, auto accident from sleep deprivation. 1989, Joel Harris, physical hazing, he had an enlarged heart. 1986, Harold Thomas, heart failure from physical hazing. 1983, Van Watts, combination of physical hazing and overconsumption of alcohol. 1978, Nathaniel Swinson, overexhaustion from excessive exercise. 1977, Robert J. Basil, physical hazing. These are hazing deaths, again, connected to the Divine Nine. And the families of these men and women will never see them again. So as we continue to talk about hazing, yes, we need to talk about the, the, the legal ramifications. Yes, we need to continue to talk about the victims, but we need to also say these victims' names. We need to humanize these victims to our fraternity and sorority members so that they won't think of them as an incident. And this doesn't even include other fraternities and other sororities and social groups, bands, military groups, athletic teams, etc. So again, many thanks to Leslie Brown and Von Eaglin, professional mental health counselors, for shedding some light on the psychology of hazing. What may be the mental state of people who may commit acts of hazing? Maybe, just maybe, we can stop people before they even start. 
Thanks again for joining for our edification. Make sure you check out the for our edification page at eddiefrancis.com. And remember to check out the podcast, which is available on your favorite platform, Podbean, Spreaker, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Please rate it, follow it, and share with friends. For Dr. Halima Leek Francis, I'm Eddie Francis. You've been listening to For Our Edification. Until next time.